Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald with another edition of the IBC podcast, Continuum. Today, I am very, very privileged to have as our guest, Frank Potenziani. Frank Potenziani is the president of the M&T Trust and the founder of the SIBC and the IBC. Frank, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I'm, I'm truly looking forward to this. To, to get right into it, can you give us a little background about you, like where you grew up and like those formative years, what led you to the beginning of your career? I was born in Aurora, Illinois, which is a, a town of about 100,000 west of Chicago and uh, grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, attended Catholic schools all through uh, college and uh, attended Pius X High School in Albuquerque. And uh, I got interested in banking uh, through my father and father-in-law, both of whom were bankers. My father was chairman of the board of Mountain States Financial Corporation, and my father-in-law was president of a national bank. And uh, they both interested me a great deal. I was fascinated with my father's connections in Washington and his creation of the Jenny May Security that's, uh, that made mortgages more tradable. I was influenced by my father-in-law's demeanor and his uh, method of handling people and uh, his history. My father's history was a Notre Dame graduate, class of 1940, and he, he grew up in Aurora, Illinois. And uh, my father was very influential in my life. At dinner every evening uh, when I was in middle school and grade school, uh, high school, we talked politics, business, and uh, sometimes for several hours. It was a lot of fun. He would come home, go to his library, have a cocktail, and uh, I would go in and sit there with him and uh, he'd smoke a cigar. And I tried that a couple of times and it didn't, <laughs> didn't work out. My wife influenced me a lot. She uh, went to Bishop School in La Jolla, California. I drove out to her graduation with her mother and her grandmother. It was an experience in itself. Uh, I remember spilling ketchup on her mother's Cadillac uh, leather front leather seats, and the ketchup stains stayed there forever. That's your memory you left with them. <laughs> yeah, at Notre Dame, I enjoyed it a great deal. It was uh, like returning home again, and uh, Notre Dame has been the biggest influence in my life probably since freshman year. So, so we kind of glossed over, I just want, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you got out of high school in Albuquerque and then you chose to go to Notre Dame for college. Correct. Right? And so you went back to the Midwest. Yes. And was that a big change for you at that point? Or like you said, it just, it was a comfort place and you were familiar with it? Yeah, I, I had been to Notre Dame recently, uh, uh, to my sister who was at St. Mary's College. And uh, so I visited Notre Dame. And do uh, it like the back of my hand when I arrived there. In fact, my tree is still there, the sycamore tree near the... Uh, is it really? Near the uh, grotto. I call it my tree. 
I was going to say that there's a, a row of sycamore trees just to uh, the this, north this, of, of the, the grotto. This is the big one. There's a big one there that you could climb and sit in. What a great memory. And uh, stayed in Kavanaugh Hall first year, Dylan, uh, Dylan second year, and alumni the last two years. Okay. So then what did you do after Notre Dame? Did you go back to Albuquerque? I did. I went back to Albuquerque and intended to stay about a year and get married at the end of that year yeah, to my wife, uh, who was 15 at the time. Uh, excuse me, 15 at the time we met. Okay. <laughs> and Thank then she you. went to uh, college, and she was 21 or so when, when she graduated. Uh, but she graduated from Bishop School in La Jolla. And uh, I remember vividly... Uh, graduation her mother asking me to handle her polaroid camera and i messed that up <laughs> and uh we drove back to albuquerque after graduation i'll never forget her grandmother who uh, i loved dearly she was a wonderful lady but her grandmother uh, was looking at a map and said uh there was a roadside map roadside uh, sign that said trash can one mile and Dana was looking for a trash can on her map and couldn't find it. <laughs> and uh, we, we got a big kick out of that. And, and then when you, so when you returned to Albuquerque with what ended up being, you know, your wife, did, did you stay then in Albuquerque or did you just like follow your initial thought and stay there a year and then? I stayed there a year. I worked for Dykewood Corporation. Okay. Which was a, uh, a research firm. And I went to work at First National Bank of Boston. Oh, okay. They were investors in Mountain States Financial Corporation, my father's company. And uh, First National Bank of Boston, I was put in the systems analysis workforce, which uh, I had an office several miles from the, the main office. And uh, we bought a house in Ipswich, Massachusetts. And... Uh, Moved up there from Boston, and I'd take the train into Boston every day, and I uh, did some graduate work at BU. Okay. And uh, we uh, enjoyed Ipswich very much. We had a collie dog. We'd take the dog out to the beach and uh, have him run. It was a beautiful-looking dog. We uh, had a couple of foster kids. We lived in, Mass in Massachusetts. Uh, one wanted us to adopt him. He was a good kid. And after I left First National Bank of Boston, I went to Albuquerque. Uh, so uh, I want to go back. How long, were, how many years did you spend in Boston? I was there about a year and a half. Okay. Then you went, so you went back to New Mexico to Albuquerque. Right. And uh, I worked for Albuquerque National Bank. They wanted me to put together their uh, tactics for merger and acquisition of uh, other banks in the state of New Mexico because statewide branch banking was becoming law. And uh, so I uh, wrote a book for the president of the bank uh, called Statewide Branch Banking in New Mexico and uh, filled it with statistics and information on the banking system in New Mexico as opposed to Colorado or in Arizona. We were thinking at the time that we would have uh, four states uh, combine their banking operations in one way or another. Uh, Valley National Bank in Arizona, we talked with mostly, I talked with them through uh, Albury National Bank, which was the my father-in-law's bank in Albury, and Mountain States Financial, which was uh, my dad's 
organization. Uh, a statewide branch, branch banking came through. Uh, we changed the names of all the banks that we bought through the SunWest Bank Corporation. Okay. And uh, that, in turn, became, uh, uh, what was the name of it? Another Kansas City bank bought uh, Albany National Bank and the, and the other banks out. And uh, then uh, Valley National bought them. And then uh, Bank of America bought them. Oh, okay. So another part, those banks are part of Bank of Bank America. America. And our bank, uh, our bank holding company, Mountain States, was sold in 1983 for cash. And uh, uh, I proceeded to spend time going to law school. Oh, really? And then uh, graduated from law school, I believe, in 1978. Not sure though, and uh, in New Mexico. Yes, I went to uni- University of New Mexico School of Law. I enjoyed law school, but I really never intended to practice it. Okay, I was managing uh, the Mountain States sale funds at the time, and with my father, and uh, we made our money uh, through that um, invest- in the, or the proceeds of those investments. I wanted to, when Alpine National and its banks, SunWest Banks, at that time, I wanted to keep the SunWest Bank stock that we owned in Mountain States Financial and sell the rest of the assets. But my father wanted to go, wanted to complete the best his interest in those banks. So you followed your dad's wishes. Right. We had, I was chairman of the board of Grand State Bank, which was our bank in Grants, New Mexico. And, uh, we held that bank for a while, but then sold it too. And um, after that, I managed the investments of, my, of uh, the foundation and uh, did that for about 40 years. So I, I want to interject. So y- you sold the bank in eight, 1983, and then about five or six years later is when you founded the SIBC at Notre Dame. And could you share with us, like, your thought back then? It's, it's now 35 years old. I mean, what really was the thought behind starting the SIBC? Well, I started with uh, the ranch that my father had in uh, uh, the east side of the mountain range outside of Albuquerque. And I would go every weekend to the ranch. And I took care of the orchard, which had about 300 apple trees and pear trees and so on. And we managed uh, a registered Hereford operation. My wife and I went to pick up the uh, herd sire at the the uh, Ball Ranch, which was uh, formerly the Doolittle Ranch in northern New Mexico. And uh, we had uh, that operation until my father sold, uh, gave it to Marmion Military Academy in Aurora. Anyway, uh, I would be out there every day or every uh, weekend, uh, pruning trees and keeping our orchard in shape. There were 300 trees. Wow. And uh, I decided at one time I wanted to do something more. Well, it was approaching Father Hesper's retirement at Notre Dame, and he was driving around the country in a uh, camper. And uh, he stopped at our ranch, he and Father Joyce, and they visited with us every evening, and we just had a great time. 
My father Hesburg is a, was a traveler. He'd been everywhere. He was going across Russia on a train, and and uh, he would go to Europe regularly and was appointed to the Atomic Energy Commission Board, I believe, by President Eisenhower. And uh, uh, Father Ted became good friends with uh, Susan Eisenhower, who he introduced to us, Fred Botek and I. Fred was the student... Uh, who I worked with in starting the SIBC. Okay. Anyway, uh, going back, we uh, I told Father Ted I wanted to start something at Notre Dame in international business. I said that it, it's getting to the point where international business was so, so, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Well, the world was becoming smaller. Yeah. Certain things are much more accessible worldwide. And uh, we were... We had different accounting systems and uh, different issues with regard to international trade. And he said, well, why don't you come back to Notre Dame and uh, talk to the students about it? Because he said, if you talk to the faculty about it, you'll never get it started. They'll talk and talk and talk. So we, uh, I went back to Notre Dame and I got Dean Riley. Uh, no, yeah, it was Dean Riley. And... Uh, head of Tiger International at the time. Oh, gosh, I can't believe his name. And Ted Hesburgh. Ted was in international business. Father Hesburgh's brother. Anyway, Ted Hesburgh uh, joined us with Frank Riley and uh, myself and uh, made a presentation to the uh, student body and to the faculty. So we did, and Fred Votek came up to me after the presentation and said that uh, he wanted to work with me, and he'd be my hands on campus. He said that at that time, uh, two pages of uh, their materials and accountants here, finance, were caught up with uh, international business, and so we weren't paying a lot of attention to international business at the time, in other words, and I thought it was imperative that we spend more time. So... uh, we had a presentation uh, in which uh, we invited people to come. Father Hesperi presented with us. Oleg Vasilyev, who was a Russian student at Notre Dame, participated with us. Uh, and uh, Gary Freeman and a couple of other people. Uh, we presented a program on starting international business, uh, intensifying international business studies. Our first president was Paul Shin, and Paul was, uh, we called him, what was it? Paul was a good-looking guy, and he was like the centerfold for for, uh, the uh, newspaper, or the... The Observer? The Observer. No, not the Observer, the other one. The South Bend Tribune? No, uh, the Alumni Magazine. Oh, I I know it is Notre Dame Magazine, but I don't know. Notre Dame Magazine. Anyway, uh, Paul wrote, uh, Paul talked about what we were going to do and so on in international business and get more exposed to it. Anyway, uh, after that, Father Ted was really behind us. And we went to Father, uh, who was the president after Father Ted? Malloy. Father Malloy, yeah. Father Malloy and Father Beauchamp and uh, some of the other priests at Notre Dame to get uh, contacts in Europe. And Father Hesper had just uh, hired the uh, law, uh, the public relations firm that David Body was president of, and so we met with David Body, 
And David was a tremendous source for us because he introduced us to businessmen all over Europe. At the, while this was going on, uh, the College of Business hired, what was his name? Igor Grossen. And uh, they were trying to decide where to put Igor Grossen. He was in the law school and they decided they wanted him in the business school, which I was pleased with because uh, Igor had a lot of business contacts too. So Igor took us to uh, Eastern Europe and Russia. And we went to Russia three times. And uh, that was a tremendous eye-opening so experience. 88, 89? Uh, 1990, 19, okay. right after the Yeltsin Revolution. Okay. And when we got to Russia, we were astounded. It was, was second-rate, dirty. Tanks were in the main streets that had been abandoned by the military. It, it was... As if we were visiting a, a scene from uh, 1918, 1919. Wow. We visited the doctor who was the uh, doctor for the cosmonauts or astronauts, whatever they were called. We also visited with uh, the Minister of Finance for Russia. We visited uh, the fellow who started a kind of a, a Walmart-type operation in uh, uh, Moscow. And we uh, took in some cultural things. We went to the ballet and uh, went to uh, St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg was incredibly beautiful. Uh, it was, uh, uh, it had not deteriorated as much as Moscow had. Okay. And they still have the czar's coat of arms and the Winter Palace and so on, which astounded me. The, uh, the people, though, were terribly poor. And uh, we went to church one day, one Sunday, in St. Petersburg, and uh, I found out we were in the church word of mouth. And uh, there was a dead body in the church, by the way. It was on the first floor, and it was a Russian lady dressed in traditional garb. She was lying in her state in her coffin. And we went upstairs to the Mass, and the Mass was Russian Orthodox. After we came downstairs to leave the church, they were. The, the church was in the middle of a large opening, and uh, there was a road that went to the front of the church, around the side of the church, to the road that was parallel to the church. And uh, that row of uh, about, I'd say about a quarter of a mile, full of people wanting to see us. To see you? Mm -hmm. And uh, we were astounded. We opened the doors, and they were all there, standing there. And uh, they, uh, they were invalids. There was a fellow who was there on a, a board with wheels on it, and he rolled himself around. Anyway, uh, we were struck by that. And every morning when I walked out of the hotel, there'd be little kids begging for candy bars or treats. And... Uh, Going back to Moscow, from Moscow we visited a, a store that was started by uh, some local people selling Russian uh, items for souvenirs. And uh, we bought souvenirs, and they were so excited about us buying these products from them. They burst into tears and were hugging us. And it was just amazing. A, it was. And uh, getting back to the church, 
in the, in the hotel we stayed at there was the Pribaltskaya Hotel, and it was on the it was running the old Soviet custom of putting a guard at the, on the at the end of each floor that you had to pass to get to another floor or wherever you were going, and the guard uh, could hear us in our rooms, and uh, it was just fascinating. The Russian uh, way of doing things was be, was the communist way of doing things, and uh, the communists basically took everything from the Russians and kept it for their party purposes, which turned into a, a, a massive distribution among the KGB of the assets of... Uh, they take everyone's assets and distribute it to themselves? Yeah. I mean, we, we ran into really tremendously wealthy people who uh, had basically stolen the treasury from Moscow. But uh, Stalin was uh, the, the leader who instigated a lot of this stuff, and uh, he had the father and son of every privately owned farm murdered, and uh, the uh, secretary of this uh, Walmart shop that we went to, uh, Walmart-type operation, was an aristocrat whose father and brother were murdered. And he just killed everybody who disagreed with him, including the royal family. And uh, Yeltsin apologized for that. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. Sometime in the 1990s. But Russia was fascinating to me. And, uh, he, uh, we went to the stock exchange, and they were trading units of uh, various operations that they had. They weren't stock certificates, they were units, they called them. And we visited with the two young men who were running the stock exchange, and they said they'd take a bullet in their heads before they'd go back to the old system. I don't—I never knew what happened to the Moscow Stock Exchange, but I remember those kids when they were determination uh, that they were going to make a go of us. Well, we uh, would not eat the, at the Prevolta Sky every night, but we ate at the, uh, was the Astor Hotel, and I can't remember the name of the other one. But we uh, would drink... Uh, Vodka, vodka and, and, and in the Russian fashion, throw our glasses to the fireplace. Afterward, uh, the Lenin statue in front of our hotel was torn down, lying in the street. And uh, we visited with the uh, ambassador to Austria, because he was a friend of Igor's. And uh, he offered to take us to Lake Bacal, which is a freshwater lake in uh, eastern Russia, down below where Mongolia is. The, uh, we took the information that we had, and by this time, I've got to interject something here. Uh, while this was going on, and while we visited Russia the second time and third time, I was also on the board of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. I was elected to the board by the bankers in our district, and uh, I was elected for two terms, which is the maximum you can do. And uh, in that time period, Tom Honig, the president of our bank, of the Kansas City Fed Bank, uh, asked me to gather information on European operations and when they were weakening or when they were doing monetary policy that was similar to our own. So I visited the uh, Bank of Scotland and became good friends with David Warren. And uh, we visited with, uh, yeah, his name slips my mind. 
Now that'll come to me. Anyway, this guy owned. A, uh, he was a top uh, money money manager in London at the time. He'd run yeah, the title for about three years. Published uh, published in the newspaper that he was number one, and uh, he had a wind farm in uh, Australia that he would travel to uh, once a year and stay there for a couple of months and then come back. But he said the wind farm was the best investment he ever made. It uh, was a cash cow, so to speak. And this was back in, still in the mid-90s, late 90s? This is the 90s. And uh, the, I was invited to a lot of things uh, when I go to uh, London because uh, they thought I, it was a good window to what the Fed was going to do next time without telling them what the Fed was sure. going to do. That was against the law. And uh, But uh, I enjoyed being a representative of the Federal Reserve Bank. And, and Frank, how long, were those four-year terms? Yes, two four-year terms. So you were on for eight years. Yes. During a, a pretty interesting time for the, of the U.S. economy. Uh, it's all been interesting. <laughs> yes. And what, I, I want to switch a little bit. So you, you started the SIBC at Notre Dame in, in the late 90s. You were asked and you got elected onto the, to the Kansas City Fed board. And then at what point did you start thinking, okay, this SIBC, maybe we can take it to a different school or in another school? Uh, yes, we chose the University of San Diego simply because uh, Dave Wilson's sister went there. Okay. And uh, subsequently we found out they had a pretty decent business school. I think they were ranked somewhere around 25, 26 of the, in the business school. And we visited uh, with the dean. Can't remember his name, and uh, he was in favor of it. Uh, we also uh, got in, University of Miami interested because Fred Botek's eventual wife went there. Okay, and she participated in some of our presentations, and uh, so did Dave Wilson's sister down here in San Diego. I liked Kansas. Uh, I uh, liked uh, our participation by the by the Benedictine College because uh, Tom Honig went to Benedictine. And uh, Tom was on their board of trustees and uh, did an outstanding job. And uh, I mean, I know I'm going to I'm going to cut in for a second because in a previous conversation you and I had, and I just I think for our listeners, they would love to know about this, is that you're friends with the, the president of the, the Federal Reserve, Kansas City, and you think you're thinking, OK, I'd like to start another SIBC chapter and. You're thinking, okay, is there anywhere else? And this is when you talked to Tom, and he suggested Benedictine, correct? Well, I selected Benedictine because Tom went there. Right, but that's through the, through the conversation yeah. of that. And he, Tom, came back and spoke to our SIBC at Notre Dame and uh, had a roundtable with us one time, which was incredible because Tom knew the, the economy so well. And... Uh, I knew the economy almost as good as he did. And the, the, the dialogue that he and I had spread to the rest of the table, and it was most enjoyable. Uh, but we touched on, on virtually every aspect of the, the market. And uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, of course, is, there's manufacturing in Kansas City and Denver, and there's uh, ranching all throughout the 10th District. And so we had representatives from the ranching business, from the oil and gas business, from the uh, 
agricultural business, uh, agricultural products, and uh, other bankers. But uh, it was a very diverse board and one that provided me with a lot of information that I could share. And uh, one time we were all uh, out and about, and they tried to get a vote by the New York Fed on changing interest rates. And uh, changing interest rates was a, a terrific problem uh, or issue with regard to me anyway. I, I, I had to make a decision which would affect every man, woman, and child in the U.S. or in the world. So uh, we were very careful to understand what our situation was domestically and what it was internationally. And uh, things like the Bank of Scotland telling me that they were going to put $150 million into the Russian stock market, which in those days changed that market substantially. And uh, $150 million, I should say. Did I say 1000 No, you said million, $150 million. Anyway, uh, that was fascinating. We also, uh, Greenspan was our chairman of the board at the time, uh, chairman of the, of the uh, Federal Open Market Committee. And uh, one of the stories was uh, the, he was going to change rates whenever he saw his briefcase filled to the capacity. And as he came down the stairs of the Fed and went to the Open Market Committee, well, Greenspan, Greenspan staged this. And he could have gotten to the open market committee by opening his office doors, office doors and walking into the room. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he would always play the theatrics in, with that briefcase and uh, go outside. He'd have to go underground to the building across the street, take the elevator to the main floor, go down the steps, go up the steps to the other building, and then to the FOMC room, which was right, right there. But uh, we got a kick out of how the newspaper made a point of uh, the size of his briefcase. So, so when you look at, at your your career history, are there any you know one or two really big guiding principles that that you've taken away that that truly you know are, are the fabric of who you are today? I feel like my whole life has been uh, very rewarding. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to teach my kids that they should always be open, honest. Fair. I would like to see my remaining years, however many I have, devoted to uh, peace and making sure we have peace as we approach intergalactic or interstellar activities. I mean, I mean, Frank, you mentioned peace, and you know that's the underlying um, tagline, so to speak, of the SIBC as well as the IBC, peace through commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, is it when that came up, this whole piece for through commerce, did, did you, is that a, do you think that's a, a reality that that's something we can have or is it more a reach that we always want to be searching for and, and driving towards? I think it's um, something we want to search for and drive towards. Uh, I mean, it, it changes and the, uh, uh, the circumstances of today are not anything like what they were in 08. When we had the financial crisis or uh, the early 80s when we had a crash in the stock market. In this atmosphere, it is imperative for us to state our values openly, to uh, listen to other people, what they have to say, to be fair in our debates and to be willing to accept 
the opposition if they've succeeded and we haven't. I, I am thinking that I ought to devote the rest of my life to peace through commerce. And uh, you know, people wonder why we're involved in the Ukraine. And it's so small and insignificant in relationship to Russia, our relationship to the economies of the world. But Ukraine is uh, the largest producer of wheat in the world and provides uh, the margin of error for between starvation and, and success with regard to its exports of wheat. So the Ukraine is of vital importance in the food supply. And to have Mr. Putin involved in this capacity is a very dangerous situation. When Russia invaded the Ukraine, the first, one of the first things they did was in, uh, go to the site where they had that uh, nuclear explosion. Right. And the soldiers came away from there sick with uh, contamination of uh, nuclear waste. To have Putin in the position he's in is, is scary. I would like to see some leadership with regard to younger people. Younger people aren't going to look at us with the neckties and suits on, but more of the president of Ukraine and his tireless clothes and his passion about Ukraine itself. They've not stopped the shipments of grain from Ukraine, but they could. They could block the Bosporus or they could uh, destroy all the crops destroyed the cities. But the, this wholesale destruction uh, disturbs me greatly. And it's part of the foundation for my whole career is to seek ways to have commerce be uh, our guide. China, I don't feel, is a threat to us. Why do you say that? China has never been a threat to anybody. They've always uh, been involved with their own economic environment. And uh, I think the Chinese have done their, have made a good effort to spread their people around the world and get them knowledgeable about how the economies of the world are act, react. So uh, I'd like to see some kind of a movement with young people and uh, young people working within our constitutional frame, and we started the Center for Constitutional Law at Notre Dame, right? and uh, take that frame into our position on the moon. I don't want to land grab for activities on the moon or on Mars or anywhere else. Uh, Elon, or, was it Elon Musk? Elon Musk, yes. Uh, says he's going to take a million people to Mars, and uh, I want some legal structure in place before we send people off to Mars. Uh, it, it's going to change everything. Oh, dramatically. It's going to change how we look at the Bible. Oh, uh, I mean, it's like the discovering fire. The, there's a computer outside of London that has, well, there's two other computers in the U.S. They have all of the information that we've ever learned as human beings recorded and uh, working, uh, working on that information base the means to create peace. I don't know how I'm going to do it or how I'm gonna, who I'm going to talk to, but uh, I certainly hope that the Peace Institute here at USD, they have a, a major in peace. Um, I'm 
I'd like to work with them and uh, hopefully get something in place that will make peace an understood issue and not a, not a debate, issue of debate. Well, debate, yes, but not forcible action. I think there's got to be some way to unite the young people of this planet and get them involved. I'm going to try for that, see if it can be done. That's truly, truly inspiring. I mean, it's inspiring if I get something done. Uh, the SIBC could be involved in that, and uh, I would hope they would. That's fantastic. I believe in the young people of today. I think they, they're so much smarter. They're, they have knowledge at their fingertips, and they can gather information in minutes that would have taken years to accumulate. This buy sell program, I was tempted to change the topic to uh, looking at various companies involved in space. Anyway, I, I guess if anything... We can, we can do that. We can have that for next year's. What I uh, am today is a consequence of uh, the people I was involved with who always had the greatest integrity and uh, greatest reputations and people I respected. I, I feel like I'm too young to retire and too old to not retire. Don't you? You can't retire. You you still have too much to contribute. Uh, I don't know. I hope so. No, you do. And I I just today I just wanted to thank you so much for your time. This has been selfishly for me a great conversation. I think our listeners are going to love this. I mean, your humility, your generosity, uh, is truly truly fantastic. And and I know I appreciate it. I think you know on behalf of all the SIBC students involved as well as the organizations and the IBC. Very, very greatly appreciated. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. And Frank, I wish you the greatest success moving forward. And uh, I want to do this again. I want to do part two, uh, maybe in a year, because I know that I I can go off on so many different tangents of things that you talked about that we could fill another full episode. But thank you very much for today. Thank you for listening today to Continuum, the IBC's podcast series. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And for more information about the IBC, visit our website at ouribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C.com. Thanks.